Three to Us on Blessed John Henry Newman by Father Ed Tomlinson Today, the Church holds a feast in honour of Blessed John Henry Newman, a man who began his life as a low-church Anglican, became a scholar in Oxford and a Church of England minister, and who ended his life a Catholic cardinal, heavily influencing the Second Vatican Council, a council we're being asked to reflect on as we now approach the year of faith. So who was Newman? And why is he so important? Newman was born in London in 1801, but it was Oxford that made him famous. Here he enrolled as a student of Trinity College, aged only 15, before becoming a tutor of Oriel. When we consider that Newman would remain in Oxford as one of England's most respected thinkers for more than 30 years, we might imagine his early days were easy, but they were not. Like so much of his life, they involved struggle. And almost immediately young Newman found himself embroiled in controversy. A man named Hawkins had become the provost of Oriel, and they had a falling out. Ever a man of compassion, Newman felt that tutors should show pastoral care for the students. But Hawkins did not. Believing a distance between tutor and student was right and proper. Resenting Newman's interference, Hawkins cut off his supply of students rather maliciously, and it left Newman with no option but to resign. At this point Newman was already ordained as an Anglican clergyman, and he was serving as the curate of nearby St Clement's. And so he turned once more to his ecclesiastical duties, whilst continuing a little light work, being a fellow of Oriel. He later became a tutor and vicar of St Mary's, a much more prominent church in Oxford. His reputation was growing, and there he remained for many years with much kudos and state approval, attracting many students by his wise intellect and his earnest preaching. But this high point of Newman's Anglican career was about to implode, as matters of conscience led him out of the church of his birth. It began with a deep sense of unrest and turmoil. Newman's reading had taken him beyond the Reformation, and he was disturbed at the conclusions he was making. Had the baby been thrown out with the bathwater? Newman felt it had, and he decided to set forth on a futile but intriguing quest to try and unite the post-Reformation Anglican Church with the early Church through both liturgical and intellectual endeavour. It led to perhaps Newman's greatest contribution to the Church of England, his lasting legacy, the High Church Movement, also known as Anglo-Catholicism, through which Newman tried to reintroduce pre-Reformation practices and belief, faith in the sacraments, prayers for the departed, episcopal governance and, most importantly for Newman, apostolic succession and not reliance on a bloated state. Newman wrote with frantic 
passion and much energy, producing many tracts that were sent to every clergyman in the land. But it wasn't enough. And Newman soon came to see that his own vision for a truly Catholic Church of England was deeply flawed. So that by 1839 he was losing confidence in his own crusade, which was ironic given that at the same time the emerging Romantic movement was ensuring that it succeeded. People were gaining a passion for Gothic architecture and pre-Raphaelite angels, and things were really taking off. But where many were drawn to Anglo-Catholicism for its aesthetic beauty, Newman saw problems, and he could not be fulfilled. He came to see that in truth, and in his own words, to be steeped in history is to cease to be Protestant. God was calling Newman home. Newman had come to believe that Rome, not Canterbury, was the home of the true Church of England, and these views he expressed in his most famous Tract 90, in which he argues that the founding doctrinal statement of Anglicanism, the 39 Articles, could be interpreted to support Catholic doctrine. The reaction of the Protestant Church and State was brutal and negative. Newman was chastised and mocked publicly, and then censored. It led to his swift withdrawal from Anglican life, and to a period of angst and uncertainty as he wrestled with his soul within a semi-monastic life at Littlemore in Oxford. Newman believed sincerely that England belonged to Rome, but he was equally convinced that the Roman Church had been corrupt, and that in many ways it had caused the Reformation. He declared that he would not convert, that he couldn't convert, until someone walked barefoot from Rome to convert him. Elsewhere in Italy, and because God has a sense of humour, another inspirational figure, Blessed Dominic Barbary, was praying for England with a truly missionary heart. He had received visions from Our Lady, and told he must love this nation, which he came to do. And so, with barely a word of English, he approached the Vatican, asking permission to establish a Passionist order in this place. On a bleak October day, this rather shabby little monk arrived at Folkestone, in what is probably comical attire. Having corresponded with Newman some years previously, he decided to make for Oxford, and as he entered Newman's lodgings, soaked from the rain of a terrible storm, and with his sandals removed, Newman realised with incredible awe that the Holy Spirit was at work. Here he was, Newman, and he was facing one who had come barefoot from Rome. Newman fell to his knees, and there, at the hands of Blessed Dominic, he was received into the Holy Catholic Church. In 1879, Newman was recognised with great honour 
when Pope Leo XIII awarded him a place in the College of Cardinals. He contributed so much to Catholic life and so much to Catholic thinking and he proved incredibly influential at the Second Vatican Council. Newman died on August the 11th, 1890. In 2009, John Henry Newman was beatified by Pope Benedict at an exhilarating mass in Cofton Park, Birmingham, not far from the oratory and school he had founded. And Newman has been named co-patron of the Ordinariate of Our Lady of Walsingham, a work of genuine unity launched by Pope Benedict, who is a great admirer of Newman, I should add, to reconcile Anglicans with the Holy See. The Pope has opened a door, and so long as Anglo-Catholics will embrace the Catechism and become a full part of the Catholic Church, they are now invited to follow where their founder has led. Was Newman sent by God to soften Protestant hearts and lead this nation back to Rome? Well, I like to think so. And that's why, as an Anglo-Catholic, I instantly joined the ordinariate that was erected in his honour, surrendering my position as a clergyman in the process and leading 72 of my congregation into unity with Rome. Since then so much has happened, it's been a roller coaster of emotions, but I thank God for it daily. Today we are a full and functioning part of the Catholic Church in this land. I have been ordained a Catholic priest, and along with so many others who joined up and down the land, and since then in America and Australia too, I now serve both my former Anglican parishioners as part of the ordinariate, as well as cradle Catholics as part of the local diocese. Praise God then for dear blessed John Henry Newman, who ushered in the second spring for Catholicism in this land, and who even in death continues to lead people home. It was when reading his autobiography, Apologia Pro Vita Sua, that I came to see what Newman had seen. In truth there is but one church, one faith, one Lord, a church built on Peter. So God bless you on your feast day, my hero and my hope. Blessed John Henry Newman, Blessed Dominic Barbary, pray for unity and the conversion of England. Amen.